You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. As more courts reopen, many practical problems are emerging. How to social distance in courthouses and courtrooms that are ill-equipped for this kind of crisis? What kinds of traffic and crowd management tools are available? And what will courthouses look like 10 or 15 years from now? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Our focus continues to be on how courts are coping with the coronavirus crisis. Today we have with us Zanelle Brown, Court Administrator for the Third Circuit Court in Detroit, Michigan. Chris Gaddis, Court Administrator for the Pierce County Superior Court in Tacoma, Washington. Angie Van Skoik, Court Administrator with the Municipal Court in Breckenridge, Colorado. Liz Rambo, Trial Court Administrator in the Circuit Court in Lane County, Oregon. Dorothy Howell, Court Executive for the Probation Division of the Superior Court in East Orange, New Jersey. And Rick Pierce with the Pennsylvania Administrative Office of the Courts. Thanks for joining today's podcast. Once your courthouse reopens, one potential congestion point is going to be the front entrance, with those metal detectors and people clamoring to get to their hearings or jury assembly room on time. Zanelle, what sort of crowd management will you have at the front entrance in Detroit? We're going to start trying to manage the crowd before they even get down here. We will let them know about the health screening questions that are in place at that time. We will have it in our jury summon notice about what's required. And we plan on having postings of signage with those questions on it as well. At the screening point, we'll have either security or sheriff as well as a person who's doing the health screening there so they can help move the line quicker. We will probably have some markings outside of the court entrance where you can see where the six foot dividing line is so people can social distance. We are also looking at some type of covering, some awning or tents and shelter to make sure we're protecting people from the inclement weather. So there's a lot of discussion about what does it look like, what staffing will we need, in addition to some staggering hours and things like that to ensure the public can get down to do the business they need to do. And we're also going to encourage those who don't need to be in court to see the court proceedings either through our Zoom or our YouTube channels so we're able to not have the courtrooms congested as well. So there's a lot of thoughts right now, Peter, and we'll be finalizing those hopefully before summer hits. Liz, how about your court in Eugene? We're doing exactly what Zanelle was just talking about. Everything we can do to mitigate having crowds come to the courthouse. For so long as the governor and the chief justice orders require social distancing, we are looking at our dockets. We're spreading cases out over the day. We're doing a large number of proceedings remotely, and that's unlikely to change because our building doesn't allow social distancing at the entrance. So like Zanel said, we're trying to mitigate it before people even come to the courthouse. But even so, once they come, we have the tape lines on the ground going out the door. Luckily, we have 
sort of an overhang in front of the building that allows us to have a line of about 20 people that goes out the door six feet apart without being in the weather. But really, just like I said, everything that we can do to keep the crowds from coming to the building in the first place. Angie, how about the Breckenridge Town Hall? We're slightly unique. We do not have metal detectors or anything for people to go through to get to uh, chambers. But currently, Town Hall's not open to the public. So for the first court date that I have coming up on June 10th, I actually asked for an extra security officer to kind of help control entry points uh, for the people coming for court to kind of have them be let in one at a time. And we've put down uh, six foot distancing stickers. I did this last Friday throughout the the main lobby and down by chambers and where they'll be meeting with the prosecutor. So we kind of have things set up so they don't have to figure out where the six feet distance is. But hopefully we're not going to have a whole bunch of people uh, showing up for court. Uh, Usually we'll only have about 10 people that actually appear anyway. uh, So that kind of helps keep the, the crowds down. Dorothy, how about in Newark? I would concur with the measures already spoken, but I would add that in New Jersey, the um, entry into the courts are operated by the respective sheriff departments. And um, right now, they are piloting the thermal testing. So anyone that has a temperature of 100 or more will not be allowed to enter into the building. We also have the markers with the six feet distancing tags on them so that people will know where they need to be in order to comply with that. But in preparation, we are reducing calendars and more of our hearings are going to be conducted remotely. We're also considering adding more hearings on Saturdays. New Jersey is a criminal justice reform state, so we currently have hearings on Saturday, but we'll expand that to include some of the more traditional hearings that are heard during the week. Um, I think we're doing what we can with what we know, but as you know, every day something changes with um, the coronavirus, so we are working with what we anticipate as a start. Now, when you refer to thermal testing, would you be taking each person's temperature, or would it be by some less intrusive device, such as a non-contact infrared monitor? We have a um, device for everyone that is trying to enter into the building. They put it up to your forehead. It gives a temperature reading. If you are staff, the sheriff department is alerted. Employees are told that they have to contact human resources. If you are a user, they're told that you can't enter the building because of your temperature reading. Chris, once your courthouse fully reopens, will the court require all entering the courthouse to wear masks? And if so, who's going to enforce that requirement? Right now we're working with the executive. Uh, We don't control the building. We obviously control our courtrooms and our staff offices, but this is a, it's an 11 story building that houses many functions of the county other than just the courts. There's 700,000 plus visitors per year. That's obviously including staff and and the court participants. So it's a very busy building. Uh, We're and kind of waiting on directive from the executive's office right now on what the front entrance is going to look like. We obviously have the ability to manage our courtrooms the way the judge or commissioner sees fit, but those are sort of some things we're working on right now. Uh, we do have some trials that will be resuming uh, starting June 1st and June 8th, 
and we will be providing masks for everybody that's involved in that. And my, my suspicion is that we'll be doing that for everybody in the future, but we need clear direction from the executive's office on that. We do have, we have ordered some face shields for people who will be testifying in the resumed criminal trials that are going on starting next week. We'll see how that goes. As far as enforcement of the requirement, that's another interesting question. Uh, we, we just don't know who's going to be uh, doing that. And certainly we don't want people trying to enforce something that they have no legal authority to enforce. So we'll be working with the health department and the executive's office to see what that is going to look like. We have a contract security company that works for the security screening of people coming into the building. And then we have the sheriff's office is also located in this building and they have up to, they have a certain number of deputies that are assigned just to patrolling the courthouse. So uh, we don't know if they're, we're going to expand the contract of the security company or if we'll be asking the sheriff's office to be making recommendations to people that they wear masks. Rick, what will be the face mask situation in Pennsylvania? Each court facility upon the entrance will have an official there that will ensure all visitors and employees wear a mask. With that said, each facility is designed differently and each court or each county has a different makeup of regarding who's at the front entrance, whether it's security, whether it's a sheriff deputy or whether it be another county official. It will vary across the Commonwealth as to who's going to be there to direct people to put their masks on. And also begs the question of how effective and how diligent each court will be really has yet to be determined because we haven't opened to the public yet, but that begins in six days. So we'll know more next week at this time. And do I think people will show up without a mask? Yes, I do. You've seen what Pennsylvania on the national news at times and, and people without a mask. So I do believe that that will take place. When they show up without a mask at facilities where there are sufficient masks available, one will be provided. But this is another question mark, and I don't know how long this will go as to how much PPE we will have available, and particularly the masks, for visitors coming into the court facilities. Angie, how about in the town hall? Well, HR has ordered that all employees need to be wearing a mask if they're out in kind of like the more public areas of the building or if they're having contact with people. Uh, so on court day, I will have to wear a mask all day. And they're saying that anybody in town hall would have to have a mask on as well. So we will have some masks available for those who uh, show up and do not have one of their own for us to give to them. And they will have to wear those at all times while they're within the building. And uh, really for enforcement, that's just gonna be kind of my security detail keeping an eye on that and you know, telling people that they're supposed to have those on. And if people refuse, I don't know yet what we'll, we will do. I have a feeling that my judge won't want to be wearing uh, his mask when he's up at the bench, but we will play it by ear and suppose see how many people we actually have show up. To, if it's easy to keep that social distancing in place, it might not be as much of a problem as it could be otherwise. Dorothy, how about in your office? The Sheriff Department generally enforces directives issued by the governor in collaboration with the Chief Justice and Administrative Office of the Courts here in New Jersey. Although it's strongly suggested that everyone wear masks, well, basically personal protective equipment, the strategic plan proposed that the users be required 
and that decision has not yet been rendered. I will add, though, that in the building, sanitizer is present throughout, and sneeze barriers are being purchased for the interviewing areas of the, for those of us who are monitoring defendants. Zanel, how will you be scheduling your volume calendars? Will you be limiting the number of court users allowed into the courtroom at any given time? Well, Pete, we're going to start with having the judges actually coordinate so we can have staggered times. If there's a need for a court call where there's going to be a number of people. And correct, we will be limiting the number of court users. Currently, the Supreme Court says that we should not have more than 10 people inside a specific area. So one of the ways that we're going about that is that if there are witnesses, we're not having the witnesses appear in the courtroom until it's actually time for them to give testimony. We haven't quite worked out how to ensure that they're not looking at the proceedings through remote video or anything like that. So we're still working on that. But I think we do have a plan where we can limit the number of people who will be going into the courtrooms. Liz, how about in your court? Most of our volume calendars are remaining suspended due to the chief justice order. And those are things like the mass small claims hearings or traffic calendars, those type of things will not be implemented. But we will be implementing one in-person volume calendar on Monday, the 1st of June, and that is our out-of-custody arraignments. But it will look completely different than it's ever looked before. So people are being scheduled for time-specific at 15-minute intervals. We have set up the courtroom for one defendant to appear at a time. And we have set up line spacing in the hallway so that if other people show up and the times overlap, that the defendants will line up in the hallway and then be escorted into the courtroom one at a time, or not escorted, but brought in. And then the courtroom will be cleaned. The location where the defendant stands will be cleaned in between appearances at 15-minute intervals starting Monday. So we will see how that goes. Who's going to be escorting litigants in and out of the courtroom? Will it be court staff, court security, or sheriff's office personnel? No, it will be court staff at the door to the courtroom. But we are working very hard to figure out how to ensure that court staff will be social distanced. Uh, we have a new presiding judge's order that was issued Friday that instructs courtroom staff to wear uh, face coverings unless they are directed otherwise for certain proceedings. Um, I can't imagine what that would be. The chief justice order that we're operating under only assumes that a person would be allowed to remove a face covering in a courtroom if they were a witness testifying. But because there are some specifics that can come up, it's, it's also permissive for the presiding judges or the judge in the courtroom to order someone to remove their mask if necessary. Chris, how about your court in Tacoma? We've done a lot of the same things. Pre-COVID, our, our appearance times were either 9 in the morning or 1.30 in the afternoon. We've now adjusted those to 15-minute intervals, and that's really reduced the number of people that have uh, come into our high-volume criminal dockets. And talking with our criminal administration staff, the, the numbers in our galleries because of that have been sufficient enough for social distancing. So that at least for the time being that's that's working once we really fully open i don't know if that is going to be able to keep up with the volume and up so we'll just modify that as as we're needed we're also working through our 
in-person appearances versus video appearances in our domestic violence dockets, whether they're the initial um, application or the review hearing, uh, well, the final uh, order hearing that happens. The civil commissioners have some concerns that, that we're trying to work through. We're hoping to have that resolved at some point in this week to see if we can open up the doors again to in-person appearances or if it continues uh, either by telephone or some type of remote video system. The final hearing is the contested hearing between both parties? Right. Yeah, it's just the the final hearing, the 14-day hearing after the uh, initial one is granted. Has there been any discussion of potential inequities if one party is physically present in the courtroom and the other party makes a virtual appearance? Sure, and that's what we're trying to work through right now and, and get the commissioner's input on that. Uh, they're the ones that have to handle that docket, so they're the subject matter experts. So we just want to make sure that they have their input and they're heard. Rick, what sort of physical changes are courts in Pennsylvania planning to make to the courtrooms themselves in light of the coronavirus? I would say start off by saying that many of the courthouses in Pennsylvania are fixtures. They probably are across the country as well. And they have fixtures built into them. As you probably know that we in Pennsylvania, we have at least a good portion of our courthouses were built at the turn of the century. Not this century, the last century. So it's difficult in order to make some changes to those physical structures. But what I will say for those courts whose county executives will afford them that luxury. They'll provide some personal protective equipment, such as uh, plexiglass in front of the bench and perhaps in front of the witness box. Uh, here again, there is a strong debate whether how effective uh, plexiglass is. Uh, we will also have the possibility in some courts of having uh, the face shields as well be available, but uh, that remains to be seen. I do think the meeting space is going to change, and it has changed as far as the setup of the chairs. I will also say that how we conduct the business in the courtroom, I think that will change as well. Where you're talking about the sufficient jury space is always the biggest challenge. So ensuring that the, the chairs, if there are chairs and not benches, that they're spaced apart safely, and yet within the confines of the walls of whether it's an assembly room or a courtroom is obviously going to vary across the Commonwealth. It's actually going to vary within a courthouse. Some courtrooms are built larger. I do think that there will be the very strong possibility that the jurors will convene, perhaps for jury selection, in various spots in the courtroom, as well as once they are seated jurors, that there will be, as we have talked about this before, on previous podcasts that some jurors will be seated in the box, in the jury box, and others will be seated in the gallery. I do envision that there won't be anything that will be uniform across the state because each courthouse is set up uh, uniquely as well as each individual courtroom. But I do think you'll see it's changed to that nature. Sunil, how about physical changes to courtrooms in your courthouse? So like Rick was saying, our courthouses are pretty old and everything is pretty much nailed to the floor. So I don't think you'll see many physical changes. You'll see changes in how we use the space that we have. Currently in one of our courthouses, we have like the yellow tape marking off um, if there's a bench, what's the appropriate amount of space one person needs to reach the six feet distance from the next person who's sitting. 
definitely we're looking at some plexus shields and hand sanitizing um, dispensers to be in the courtrooms as well. But most of it will probably, like Rick was saying, uh, revolve around the jurors and the spacing there, how to ensure that the jurors are spaced apart. And again, we can't make our juror boxes any bigger, so it's probably going to be using the courtroom in a different way than we use it now. Liz, how about courtrooms in your courthouse? Exactly the same as what Rick and Zanel have just said. We're really up against our 1959 courthouse being designed with very small courtrooms and fixtures that are in, fixed in place and can't be moved. And on top of that, if we try to move things, we interfere with our electronic recording systems, the location of microphones, and it just, it, it isn't possible to do. So we're doing exactly the same thing. We're going through and figuring out how to use the spaces differently, how to have jurors sitting on pews all day comfortably. We've done things like marked the pews in the couple of courtrooms that'll be large enough for jury trials with where jurors will sit for the day. We've purchased seating pads because pews are uncomfortable. We're just doing everything we can do to identify the capacity of the spaces based on social distancing, up in including the public viewing capacity. And most of our courtrooms are so small that with social distancing in the gallery, we can only seat eight or fewer people. So it really is a very interesting sort of Tetris challenge to figure out what we're going to do when we start doing in-person proceedings more regularly. Now, in previous episodes, several of you have mentioned that the future physical footprint of the courthouse could be changing. Let me ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me how you see new courthouses changing in the next 10 to 15 years. Zanel? I believe we'll have less physical space. I believe currently we have every judge right now having a courtroom. I don't think that that'll occur. I think judges will have some some chamber space, possibly like a size of a hearing room space, but courtrooms will probably be reserved and actually something that has to go in a calendar where judges are scheduling that. I believe there'll be more hoteling space for the administrative staff that support judges as well. Definitely the virtual remote thing as far as hearings and settlement conferences, I believe that will be perfected and remain in place. And hopefully by that time, they'll perfect how to have a jury trial remotely as well. Liz? As usual, I agree with everything that Zanel just said. But I was also thinking that we were actually working on a scoping study for a new courthouse and had a legislative authority for some bond sales coming up in the next year that have now had to be delayed because of this situation. And what I was thinking is that not only might we not need as many courtrooms in exactly the same way as we have them now, but those courtrooms that we do have will need to be larger because we can't now say we didn't know this was a possibility. There needs to be space for people to feel safe from each other. And that's true of our current setup as well, but for a security reason as opposed to an illness reason. Our our courtrooms are so small that in cases where things are tense, particularly family law cases, people are right on top of each other. 
So now we have this new situation where there's more reasons why those spaces where we're doing in-person proceedings need to be larger. But then every courtroom would also need to be set up that we do have or spaces would need to be set up for remote proceedings, not just remote proceedings that are sort of MacGyvered into a space, but incorporated into the thought for that space from the get-go. And also, I've been thinking a lot about traffic patterns in buildings. So predicting what your future in-person proceedings will look like and ensuring that the traffic patterns in and out of the building are appropriate for what we're looking at in the future. Rick? This this question uh, made me smile and actually just have a little chuckle at myself because I'm recalling back a time when I was was uh, in my early days in court administration, I happened an opportunity to attend a conference in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Association of Court Management. Uh, gentleman's name was Dr. Dater. I apologize, I don't recall his first name. This is 1994, and he was relaying a message, a plenary presentation on the tsunami that was going to hit the courts, as well as government. And it basically, it was the technology tsunami. And he was going through this, well, this is what courts are going to look like and courthouses are not going to be needed in 20 years. And we all sat there and chuckled and laughed. I'm, yeah, right. Okay. And, uh, you know, as story goes, he might have been a little off. It might have been a little bit more than 20 years. But there were some of the things that he did say were have come to fruition. And some of the things that we realized in 1994, we thought more likely was, would happen, which were video proceedings. And they de definitely have, because shortly thereafter, we started them in, in the late 90s. But I do think that brick and mortar facilities and, and maybe the bankers hours that their courts have will still be with us. But I think we will rely much more on remote appearances and the remote access. I think cybersecurity. Uh, will become even more important. And I think all of our courts will be paperless and we'll have a mandatory electronic filing everywhere. Uh, but these courts houses, as, as I said earlier, uh, that are in Pennsylvania reside in many rural communities and they really become a fixture. Uh, they're usually located at the square, the junction of a, at the center of a county seat. And they have been in use since the turn of the last century and some even before that, some even from the 19th century. Uh, look at City Hall in Philadelphia, you know, our largest judicial district, one of the largest in the, in the country. And City Hall has been a fixture since the 1850s, 1860s, and that's still in very much use. I do think that any new structure will be required to be relocated elsewhere or maybe just forced to have an addition to the existing court facility. And I think that this is going to be a significant cost. We're talking about capital improvement and those costs will be significant and I'm not so certain county governments will be able to absorb such long-term expenditures if the economic fallout from this pandemic is is significant and long-lasting. So that is very telling. But I would echo with what Zanel and Liz were saying. One of the things we will have to do with our existing facilities is look at traffic flow. We have been, but we'll have to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit more restrictive about it you know, regarding the distance. But as, as Liz said, we, we don't have an excuse. We know now what we should and can be doing in order to limit the number of people that are in our core facilities and limit them in, in confined areas. So we should be able to do that even with the existing facilities that we have. Angie? 
Um, like others have said, I think a lot more will be done remotely. Um, so you won't need the physical spaces as much as you do now. I think you'll have a lot more, you know, paperless options and a lot more online dispute resolution availability for people to have. So it, just court in general would move more efficiently and quickly than it may currently happen. Dorothy? Well, I would agree with what everyone has said, but I'm reminded of the Jetsons. So I could see that we will have technology, the use of technology um, expanded so that a lot of the services that our users are coming into the courthouse to do, they won't have to. They'll be able to do it online. I could see um, hearings, even trials being done, you know, by way of video so that you don't need as many courtrooms and have a better use of the courtrooms that we do have. I would also say that I still believe that we're going to have extended court hearing hours to schedule to include evenings and weekends. But the courthouse as we know it today is definitely not going to be post-pandemic. Chris? Uh, like one of my judges said the other day, uh, my crystal ball is in the shop, so uh, I'll have to get back on that. Um, just, just kidding. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that we're really going to be able to to make that determination until the judges and the attorneys uh, really get into this post-COVID life and and truly understand the impacts that it's going to have once once the, the the faucet gets turned all the way open. Um, I, I think we just need to kind of, for now, hang tight and not make any uh, decisions on a long-term basis until our judges can live in it for a while. The um, There are a lot of changes that would have to happen to long-standing traditions, and I just don't know that there's the interest level right now. It may be that that once once we get to, to full operations that, that they make the determination that it just cannot operate uh, in a fashion that that they're used to and, and changes have to be made. And, and I'm certain that there, there will be some, some of the, the COVID changes that we've made will continue. I, I think the judges have had some great success with our video proceedings and, and I, I can certainly see some of that continue. And from my personal opinion, I, I think the idea that we would build a courthouse around decreased foot traffic or uh, the push to remote proceedings makes sense. But ultimately, I'm not the one to make that decision. The, the judges and the attorneys that are that are in the courtrooms on a daily basis need to be the ones that are that are pushing that change as needed. My thanks to Angie, Liz, Zanell, Chris, Dorothy, and Rick today for sharing how their courts are dealing with some of the practical aspects of reopening their courthouses. My thanks also to you court professionals out there listening and working for the courts. Thanks for all your hard work. Join us next Thursday, June 4th, as we continue our conversation with our guests. Remember, if you have a question about how the courts are coping with the coronavirus, email us at podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. We'll try to answer your question on a future episode. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. 
Today's episode will be available on our website, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. Thank you.